Friends, today we will hear the prophetic word of Amos. But before we get to the scripture, it might help to have just a refresher and reminder of the history that gets us to Amos. So if you will remember when the Lord God calls Israel into being, they are originally 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And those tribes are locally governed within their tribe, but they're still connected as one nation. And so we see the tribes of Israel all throughout the Exodus, and we see them delivered into the promised land. But around 1000 BCE, something changes. And what changes is that the Philistines are rising in power. And the Philistines have two distinct advantages. One is that they are better with weaponry. They're starting to use iron and create weapons that make a real difference in battle. But the second thing that the Philistines have going for them is that they are not loosely affiliated tribes. They are tightly organized as one group with a a central leader. And so because of that, all the tribes decide that they want to be united into a monarchy. They demand a king. And so for a time, we have the united kingdom. We have all of those tribes together. We have Saul, we have David, we have Solomon, and they control and lead and rule over the people. And then Solomon dies. And there is all sorts of political upheaval and intrigue at this time. Some people think that they should be led by Solomon's son. Some people think that they should be led by one of Solomon's commanders. And so what happens is that the United Kingdom becomes divided. And so two of the large tribes settle in the south of that land and they call their nation Judah. And the other tribes settle to the north and they call their nation Israel. And so for a time, Israel in particular is very prosperous. This is because they have the more fertile land. They're able to grow a lot more crops. And it's also because they have ports that Judah does not have. So they're able to sell and buy goods. And Israel flourishes. They have so much, we are told. And then there's Amos, who lives in the southern kingdom in Judah. And Amos doesn't consider himself a prophet. He considers himself a farmer. The text tells us that he is a dresser of sycamore trees. He's been a farmer his whole life. But he listens to God. And all a prophet is, is someone who comes to the people and tells them what God's will is. A prophet interprets what God is saying and calling the people to do and be. So Amos may consider himself a farmer, but he's about to become a prophet for God. And so with that, we'll pick up at our text. Amos is speaking the prophecy of God against the northern kingdom of Israel. Listen to Amos' words. Hear this word, did I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel? Fallen, no more to rise is maiden Israel. Forsaken on her land, with no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that marched out a thousand shall have a hundred left. 
and that which marched out a hundred shall have ten left. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like a fire, and it will devour Bethel with no one to quench it. Ah, you that turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. The one who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name who makes destruction flash out against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate the one who reproves in the gate and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, Because you, Israel, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, the prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, at critical times in our history, you have sent prophets to speak your word to us. And it is our prayer that when that time comes, we would hear. But we also know that you speak in the words of Scripture, that your Spirit speaks in the proclamation of the Word, and so we pray that we would hear that this day too, that we would hear of your love and grace and dedicate ourselves evermore to you. And we ask this in the name of the one who has shown us the way, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amos has two complaints against Israel, and they're both really rooted in the idea that Israel is so very prosperous, they have so very much, and yet there are two critical areas that they are not living out their call as God's people. The first is in terms of worship. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah is where Jerusalem was. And so at this time, those who lived in the northern kingdom would worship at Bethel or at Gilgal or at Beersheba. And what Amos is upset about is that the people are going to these places 
and they are giving a burnt offering and they are leaving. There is nothing about their worship that is transforming their lives. They are not offering themselves to God in worship. They're checking a box. Their worship has become rote. They are simply giving the burnt offering because they're supposed to. They're not a part of the community. And so Amos says to them, your worship is rote. It has no meaning. And you keep going to Bethel and Gilgal, and I want you to know that those can go away in a minute, and you will still be called to worship God. What will your worship be then? Now, I guess you won't be surprised to know I've thought a lot about why we worship. (laughs) And I've thought a lot about it because I am a preacher. But well before that, I was a new Christian myself. And for a very long time, worship has always been for me a place where I can come and remember the miracle of God's love and forgiveness and where I can be in community with other people who know the same. But when Brian and I started to have children, we had to think long and hard about what we wanted for them in terms of their experience of church. And we made up just a couple of rules for our family. And I will tell you that the best parenting is done in hindsight, so I don't know if this is going to work yet. (laughs) They are not launched out into the world. But for us, the number one rule is that we wanted them to be in worship. There are a lot of great things you can do in the church. But for us, we want them to be in worship. There are a couple of reasons for that. One is because the Lord God commanded it. Even from Deuteronomy, the Lord God says, you shall worship the Lord your God. And God tells us that we worship in community. We aren't worshiping alone out on the plain. God tells us that we are the body of Christ and we are to worship together. So if they get nothing else out of it, I want them to be here because we're commanded to worship God, the God who created us, who loves us, redeems us, and sustains us, tells us to worship, so we need to be here. But here's what else I know. I know that every part of a worship service preaches. I didn't go to church a whole lot growing up. I went to my grandparents' church only when we were visiting with them. And I don't remember a single sermon, but I know every word of amazing grace, just as I am, and love lifted me. If you need any of those hymns, I'm your girl. (laughs) Those hymns got inside of me. I was sinking deep in sin, right? All of those things, it was love that lifted me. And so I want my children to have the experience, one, of coming into a community that acknowledges that God is important and God has a claim on our lives. I also want them to come in and get a hug from someone who is not a family member to let them know that they matter in the world. And I want them to know that we are a people who confess and that we are a people who are pardoned, that we are a people who think the Bible is important And we are a people who thinks it's equally important to go out and live our faith. That's why we worship. That's why we gather together to do it. And Amos knows that checking a box is never what worship is about. It is always about offering ourselves to God 
into the community. Let's face it, this is one of, the one of the only places where we come to hear the message that it's not about us. And it's an important message. It's about God. And so Amos tells the people of Israel, it seems that in your prosperity you have forgotten that you are still a people claimed by God and commanded to worship. Make your worship more, is what Amos says. Now, the second problem that Amos has is that in their prosperity, they are forgetting about justice and caring for the poor. He says, you, you, Israel, in all of your prosperity, you aren't caring for the poor. There are still people who are hungry. There is no justice in the land. And make no mistake, Amos says, God calls you to care for others. God calls you to the work of justice. Now, I've been a preacher for a while now, and I've been told more than once that social issues like caring for the poor should not be brought to the pulpit. And I will tell you that I believe politics should not be brought to the public, I mean to the pulpit. Because politics are a discussion of how we do the things we want to do as a nation. That's what politics are. But I want you to make no mistake, caring for the poor and working for justice is the Lord's work. And you are called as a person of faith to figure out how you are going to work for those things in the world. It's ridiculous to think that that is political. And the truth is that there have been people of all sorts, conservative, liberal, or whatever, who have worked to take care of the poor, just like there are lots who haven't. But you and I, see, we are, we are followers of Jesus Christ. And the Jesus who learned of the prophets also came to us and said, you are called to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, that's the easiest definition of justice you're ever going to get, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that love is a verb, to work for your neighbors as yourself to care for your neighbors as yourself. I firmly believe that how you decide to live out that call is between you and God. I also firmly believe that there are as many different ways to care for the poor and care about justice as there are people. And every time I think about that, I think of at my last church, there was an older man there named Ted Walker. And Ted and I had a four-year friendly debate. Ted would tell you of his own accord that he pretty much had every dollar he'd ever, ever earned. <laughs> Ted was pretty tight with his money. And the discussion we had is, what do you do when you see someone who's asking for money, begging? Ted said, don't you give them a nickel. Don't do it because they will use it on things they shouldn't. It isn't good for them. Now, Ted lived out his call. He raised more money for Presbyterian disaster assistance than anyone I know. At 82, when we left Athens, he still went to Mexico every summer and built homes. He was faithful. He believed in God, and that's how he answered the question of caring for the poor and caring about justice. But you know what I would say, Ted? 
I gave him $5. I was just going to spend it on lip gloss anyway. <laughs> My thought was, I am called to give, and what they do with it is between them and God. My generosity is between me and God. And so we had this friendly disagreement over and over. We were both faithful in our response. We are always called to figure out our personal answer to how we care for others and how we live out God's call to justice in the world. It comes from the prophets. It comes from the Lord God, and it comes from Jesus Christ. You cannot be a Christian and not care about others. You can't do it. It is who we are. And if you learn anything from worship, I hope you remember that it's not about you. It's about God and what God calls us to be in the world. So sometime in my debate with Ted, I told him that I was coming off the um, expressway in Athens one day, and there's this one traffic light where usually people will stop to beg. And I was in a hurry and flying down that off-ramp one day, and there was a man standing there, and I just glanced over, and his sign said, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I believe that Jesus Christ is the author of miracles. But I also believe that sometimes he uses our hands and feet to do it. There are people who need a miracle. Maybe it's as simple as looking them in the eye and remembering that just because they are begging, they are not invisible. Maybe it's as simple as giving the $5 you were going to spend on lip gloss to someone who looks like they're hungry. Or maybe it's as simple as going down to Mexico in the heat of the summer and hammering in some nails. I don't care how you do it, and I will not judge how you do it. But you are called to answer the same question that Amos called on Israel to answer. In your prosperity and in your blessedness, where is the justice and how are you caring for the poor? Thanks be to God. Amen.